Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Great to see you. Hope this 10 o'clock slot is working okay for you. And welcome to everybody else who joins us. We had another lovely feedback this week from a guy in South Manchester uh, wanting to connect, which is uh, wonderful. Um, how many of you either have felt or are currently feeling what was depicted in that clip from Castaway. You know, in the crossroads to consciousness, all options must be considered. And that's why most of the time we don't successfully make the journey to being conscious, spiritually conscious, God conscious, Christ conscious, life conscious as a person, because we don't want to stand at the crossroads where all options must be considered. So, you have this amazing thing where at the crossroads, what does he choose? And the question, if it's not that, what is it? And the truth is we feel very uncomfortable and insecure when we find ourselves in that place. But actually, there is no more healthy place that you could find yourself in the development of who you truly are than standing at those crossroads saying, if it's not that... What is it? So we want to continue uh, exploring the theme we've been on for, for several weeks now and just develop it to the next set of thoughts and considerations. You see, so much of what is belief, we've been talking about faith and belief, how faith is not belief, the two are different. So much of what comes of belief, you may not appreciate it, but it pulls God down to our level. Because once we establish beliefs, it's because our beliefs are based on a set of facts and those facts are based on experiences that have happened and have no space for anything bigger or beyond or future. And so our belief tends to pull God down to our level. And that's everything from salvation to judgment to prayer to praise and worship to heaven to hell to service to forgiveness. They become reflections of our restricted human beliefs and therefore never allow God, Christianity, whatever it is, to become all that it should be. It presumes that by a set of confirmed beliefs, we can corral the divine essence into the finite realms of our human understanding and thereby exert control over a kingdom that he said was his. But religion... And most church structure makes that kingdom ours and we become the rule makers and the re commitment requirers. See, the truth is, guys, we followed something, the way we followed it and what we followed it, for most of you here, at its basis in sentimentality rather than universality. 
It was based on the lovely story, and it is a lovely story, and it's true. But, but God sends Jesus in a baby. He becomes a baby, and he lives a life, and he blesses people. And then he dies on the cross for our sins, which requires some wider explanation. And then he rises again, and now we all ask Jesus into our hearts, and then we all escape to heaven, while those who didn't accept Jesus in their heart spend eternity in conscious torment. That's what it came to. So, so it was based on that sentimentality. I, I grew up loving the story of Jesus, and I still do love the story of Jesus, but I was only given a particular aspect and perspective on the story of Jesus that was very much based in sentimentality and not universality. And what came out of that is the Jesus is my boyfriend principle. And we do struggle and we are struggling and most people who hold this principle will not stay with us because Jesus is my boyfriend is not the gospel of Christ, right? It's the gospel of salvation that limits itself to Jesus and that's why the whole thing, oh, I'm so in love with Jesus. Well, maybe that's okay, but I'm not sure mostly now where I am that it is okay because it makes it this limited Jesus is my boyfriend thing, which is sentimentality. When this whole thing is so universally large, so much bigger, so much greater that then we're restricted and it becomes a limited religion rather than a true expression of life. See, it pressed us toward a rational ascent to the truth of certain mental beliefs, rather than a calm and hopeful trust that God is inherent in all things and that this whole thing is going somewhere good. Let me tell you, this whole thing is going somewhere good. You need to get on that train. So in carrying the conversation of the difference between belief and faith, another step forward, it takes us to a place where I have to challenge another deep-seated doctrine that falls short of its full potential, and I'm going to do that. Well, talk about where devils fear to tread. I guarantee you that uh, in your majority of churches particularly, you are not going to get shown that edited version of that because it's too broad, it's too encompassing, it's a crossroads. But I'm proud for us to show it. I'm proud for us to show it because I'm thinking and hoping that you are big enough and strong enough to be able to take on board that these are very real questions and these are very real issues and that just perhaps... Contrary to what I was raised to believe, we don't, we don't own the market on all truth. Now, that doesn't mean I don't profoundly believe what we believe. It doesn't mean I'm not Christian or I don't love God. But it means I'm not going to get stuck in the narrow perspective that often comes with that. See, if you want to watch the movie, it's called The Life of Pi. It's very interesting. It'll broaden your mind because it's really about... Pi, who's the, the guy you keep seeing on there, the central character, it's really his journey from belief to faith, like we've been talking about. He starts off as a believing, a believing Hindu. And as I've said to you before, it's, it's so easy for us to sit in the comfort of our church and not consider what would happen and where would we be had we been born in a strict Muslim family, uh, in, in a Hindu family or in a Muslim area, or in a communist country, the assumption that we would all be where we are 
is a bit of a distorted assumption. And the question is, where would your journey take you then? Because if God is not big enough to transcend that problem, then he's not worthy to be called God. I like what he said at the end. Pi said, faith is a house with many rooms. Can you, can you get a hold of that? Faith is a house with many rooms. But the guy who's talking to says, but no room for doubt. And that's the assumption, see, no room for doubt. But Pi says, oh, plenty on every floor. Doubt is useful. It keeps faith a living thing. After all, you cannot know the strength of your faith until it's tested, which is why I've been challenging you with a couple, for a couple of weeks with the fact that what most people have is belief in a set of things rather than actually faith, and one could say actually faith in God. It becomes belief in construct. So, so if there is such a thing as, belief of, as the belief of faith, which is an oxymoron, actually, because we've already talked about belief is not faith and faith is not belief. And belief is about what has been. Faith is about what will be. Uh, and that we get the crossroads of those two things. So, in a sense, uh, faith transcends belief. But, but it's hard for us to grasp that in our thinking. So, if I were to bring that to where we can understand it and say, okay, but if there is such a thing as the belief of faith... What would it be? And I would say that the belief of faith is Christ consciousness. That's the one thing that faith believes. If faith believes anything, it's a Christ consciousness. And within that consciousness, doubt is not destructive. Now, the reason doubt is so destructive in most of our belief systems is because there is no Christ consciousness. But when you become Christ conscious, doubt is not destructive. So where do you sit in that equation? See, Christ consciousness is not the ability to recite a set of words. But it's a falling into the every thing. It's a bit like when we had the movie of um, Smallfoot and he had to go into the nothing. And he found the nothing in the truth. He found the truth in the nothing. Faith's a little bit like that. But I would call it the everything because what we were taught is to be narrow. You can only find this in church in a particular way by responding in a certain way. But you see, the Christ brings us to the understanding of the everything. Now, not two words, not one word, two words, not everything, because that is part of it, but everything. So what do I mean by Christ consciousness? Well, without insulting your intelligence, hopefully, conscious is the opposite of unconscious. And in the unconscious state, we're totally unaware of our surroundings and unable to respond to their stimuli Got that right, didn't I, Jen? Not stimuluses. See, see, when you're unconscious, you're alive but not living. And my question is, does sometimes our beliefs bring us to a place where we're alive but we're not actually living because we're so conscious of the necessity to be beholden to and uphold and protect and defend the belief that it means that we are no longer living. We've tried to free you from that at Q. 
See, when you're unconscious, the mind shuts down and shuts out. And if Christ brings us consciousness, and we're talking about Christ consciousness, then the opposite is when our mind shuts down and shuts out. And that's why some people would be very uncomfortable with the video we just showed. And I'll guarantee you some people will put some comments about the inappropriate nature of the video we just showed because their mind wants to shut down and shut out. When you go unconscious, your mind is saying, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to go through the pain of this. Therefore, we're shutting everything down. Now, how many of you know what the next phase is from that? Hey? The next phase is coma. And what's the phase after that? Death. And I wonder sometimes whether we are bringing people to a comatose version of Christianity that ultimately will mean that the, 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 the essence of it itself will ultimately die and will ultimately fail unless some people get a hold of this and bring it out of its comatose state, bring it out of its unconscious state and bring it back into a consciousness that in our real world can begin to express what truly is the spirit of the Christ. So when we talk about Christ, what do we mean? You see, most of you think, well, Christ equals Jesus and Jesus equals Christ. That's not correct. Now, it's kind of correct, but not fully correct. You see, I think most people think Christ is the second name of Jesus. You know, like Anth Chapman, Jesus Christ. Well, Christ is not the second name of Jesus. Christ is a tag, an annotation that's not talking about, about his name, but it's talking about his state, his condition. It's talking about not so much who he is in, in the flesh, but what he is in eternal terms. What it is that is driving him, what, it, what is flowing in him, and what is flowing through him. So we've had a lot of misunderstanding about the word Christ. In fact, Christ is not a name at all. Christ locates it into something. It's a statement of an existent state. Christ is more a state than it is anything else. See, Jesus is the Christ, but the Christ is more than just Jesus. And I don't know if you uh, understand it, but Jesus was not the Christ until he became the Christ. And Jesus did not exist until he was Jesus. Because until the story of God incarnate was called Jesus, he was not Jesus, but he was always the Christ. So we've got this thing, Jesus was only Jesus when he became Jesus, but the Christ was always from wherever you go that way to wherever you go this way, and Jesus then, when he walks in that flow and that spirit, he becomes Jesus the Christ. Is that making sense? I mean, there's, there's a whole, I could teach for two hours on this, but we've got minutes. So Christ did not emerge on the scene with the birth of Jesus. If you read the New Testament, you will see that Christ always was and Christ always will be. And he's popping up all over the place. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church makes an interesting statement because he said he was with you when you came out of Egypt and in the water, when you came through the waters of the Red Sea. And he said, and when you receive water from the rock, he said, the water that you receive was Christ. So how could Christ be four and a half thousand years before Jesus 
in a desert appearing in a rock because it's not in just the human form. It's something that pervades everything and is the root material of all things. That's what we're talking about with the Christ. So would it be outrageous to say that we've trapped Christ in the body of Jesus? I think not. To some people that would be blasphemous. But I think we trapped Christ in the body of Jesus so we've not really understood the fullness of who the Christ is. That's why you get stuck at the crossroads and can't handle stuff like that video. Now believe me, this is a road less travelled. So if you're going to go look at your best mate from whatever church to talk about this, be ready for what you're going to get. But what's interesting is that in all of Paul's letters who, make, who made up most of the writings of the New Testament, he only uses the word Jesus independently on five occasions. And two of those are in the book of Philippians that probably wasn't written by Paul. It was probably written by the disciples of Paul. So can you see how Paul didn't independently use the name of Jesus except on these five occasions. And yet he used the phrase on Christo in Greek, in Christ, 164 times. You think he's making a point? Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. I'll read this from the message version of the Bible. Paul's view is this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. That's where you get that. Why? Because you become conscious. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us and had designs for us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Now I split that to working out in everything and every one. So there's these two wonderful words that you won't find in the dictionary that Christ brings into the equation everythingness and everyoneness. So when you catch that there is an everythingness and an everyoneness that comes into the equation that moves you from the rigidity of belief to the fluidity and the power of faith. Maybe the term Christ, which in the Greek is Christos, which is from the Hebrew Mesach, which connects to the act of anointing, you know, when you used to pour oil on people. Maybe it's better described as the acknowledgement of the indwelling presence of infinite potentiality. Which, if you've read anything about quantum physics, you'll realize the whole universe works with infinite potentiality. And when you shift from just belief in Jesus to faith of the Christ, there is an infinite potentiality that begins to invade your spirit. That's why some of you are so down, see no future, and have no hope for tomorrow, because you're not full of infinite potentiality, because you haven't yet met the Christ. Now, it's good to meet Jesus, and I'm glad you've met Jesus, but some of you haven't yet met the Christ, because when you do, that infinite potentiality begins to pervade everything in your mind and spirit, and you realize everything and everyone is touched by this. And as Paul says, that gives you designs for glorious living. And that's what I want you to have. See, the problem with our westernized Christianity is that after the printing press, during the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, we became drug-level dependent on written words as the measure of all things. 
rather than what John describes in his gospel as the living word, word made flesh, word alive. We became bound by written word, hence the reason why what you'll get most occasions if you have any questions, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, I love the Bible, and the Bible says many things, but it's printed words. And when John wrote his gospel, he didn't say in the beginning, God became the Bible. Did he? It says in the beginning, the, the word, that spirit word, became human flesh. We get the manifestation of Jesus and through that, the Christ flows. So whenever matter and spirit, John's point was this, whenever matter and spirit are brought together to operate as one, that is Christ. That's what happened in Jesus and that's what happens in you. So... Let me finish up by saying this. In the, in the overly personal, even sentimental Jesus we encounter, uh, we encounter some incredible, incredibly severe limitations and problems. Because that Jesus is not universal. That Jesus is cozy rather than cosmic. And somehow in this we missed out on a vital understanding. And history has clearly shown that worship of Jesus without understanding the concept of Christ, invariably come, becomes a time and culture-bound religion. Do you know we have a westernized version of our Christianity, our belief, that's not the same as the easternized version, and then we've adjusted that even more, because not only does it become uh, stuck in, in the in the concept of, of, of Christ in a culture-bound religion, time and culture-bound religion, and the time thing is because we, make, we take what Jesus said and we try to make that fit now when actually it fit then, and what the word is now is not the word then. And not only do we do that, but we, we have made it implicitly tribal. Why the heck do we have denominations? Because we've not understood the Christ and we've made it implicitly tribal so we don't get on with, with, with even other denominational ideas and each denomination has been born because they didn't get on with what the previous thing was so now we have to have somewhere where we can state our own beliefs. And then the sad thing is, in all of that, it includes, excludes much of humanity from God's embrace. See, I wanted you to see that video to show that humanity is not excluded from God's embrace. That God is not your puppet and Jesus is not your boyfriend to determine a written set of beliefs that ultimately and by and large will exclude rather than include. When we understand the Christ, suddenly everything explodes into a new place. So what was the point of Jesus? Let me propose this to you. Jesus was supposed to be the code breaker. Right? The code breaker. So all this, when we're trying to get an understanding of it, we can see in the life of Jesus and who he was actually, the code being broken to introduce us to the Christ. So Jesus was supposed to be the code breaker. But without uniting him to Christ, we lose the core of what Christianity is supposed to become. It's called Christianity for a reason and not Jesus-ianity. That clip again from the life of Pi, I think is so, so moving. It touches somewhere in me, maybe because I'm, I'm a detached personality. 
But the whole thing of where you, you, you zoom into the boat, but the boat is in the middle of the ocean. And he looks like he's just come out of lockdown. And lo and behold, not only is he in the middle of the ocean, in a boat, looking like he just came out of lockdown, but he's got a tiger in the boat. Now you'll see the significance of the tiger if you, if you watch the movie, but, but to me that is so representative of, of, of us. It, it's all about the journey of pie to the fullness of faith, but his journey is what the journey of faith most often looks like or at least feels like from time to time. How many of you agree? That is if you're awake and conscious. Otherwise, you're oblivious to what's going on. Now, I mentioned Paul a couple of times today because he's such a significant person in trying to get something through to us that he understood so many years ago. And one of the other things Paul says or writes that's recorded in the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 27, is very interesting because it says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why not the gospel of Jesus? Why is Paul so insistent of pushing us into something called the Christ and wanting us to grasp and get this? Well, I hope a little bit of understanding from our last talk has brought you there a little bit, but, but he wants us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to do that. And he, he goes on to say, wrestling as one man for the faith of the gospel. So it's the gospel of Christ as opposed to the gospel of Jesus, and he calls it the faith of the gospel as opposed, as opposed to belief in the gospel. See, Everything I heard was about believing in the gospel. You've got to believe in the gospel. Believe you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died for you. Believe you'll go to heaven when you die or you'll go to hell. Whichever is the case, you've got to believe in the gospel. And when we preached that, we were not preaching the gospel of Christ. In, I could argue we weren't even preaching the gospel of Jesus. We were preaching our imagined perception by bringing belief into our human understanding of how we thought it should be because that's what we would do if we were God. And so he talks about the faith of the gospel as opposed to belief in the gospel. Paul is contrasting the difference. See, belief in is something you initiate and maintain. Faith of is something that you allow to flow through you. And the problem is we've been so pressed to believe in something that we first initiate and then have to maintain and it makes it a very burdensome and a very restrictive thing on our lives. And what it does, it makes us exclusive so we cannot understand the everything and the every. One, whereas the faith of the gospel actually brings us, it's, it, 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 the faith of is something that allows it to flow through you. And that's what this thing's supposed to do. It's not supposed to need stress and effort from you, just a yielding, just a submission. See, the gospel seemed to, to me to be mostly about how you join it was all about that. Our meetings, we had gospel meetings that were all about how you join. Put your hand up, come to the front. Now, I'm not saying they didn't know good. I've been part of that structure and that culture and that system. But it seemed mostly to me about how you join. Where the faith of the gospel is all about how you flow. 
Belief in the gospel makes it all tribal unto some, but the faith of the gospel makes it always unto all, and that's where I'm trying to bring you. So John illustrates this in, in, in his gospel, in John chapter 10, when he talks about this. He talks about Jesus saying, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and, and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, very briefly, again, I could preach on any part of this for an hour each one but I'm giving you the thumbnail the summary get this in your spirit I am the door is only the access point believing the gospel of Jesus says come in and be safe but here's the problem from the Christian perspective we stopped at and started worshipping the door rather than pursue the full potential of all that the door opened up to. So most of Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity, <coughs> excuse me, stopped at the door and is worshipping the door. Oh, this is a beautiful door. What a wonderful door. I love the door. Let's praise the door. Write me some songs about the door. The door is amazing. See that, I'm using other terms than just Jesus, but Jesus is the door, but he was never the point where we were supposed to stop and worship the door, the door's only supposed to give you access to something. So Jesus came to give us access to the understanding of word and spirit coming together, which is the Christ manifest. See, the faith of the gospel of Christ is the second part of that. You will go in and out and find pasture. See, so it's not about here's the door, lock yourself in. It's about when you find the door and you get an understanding of the Christ, then you can come in and you can go out and you can have freedom and you can move and you're not stuck and you're not restricted and you're not bound by a bunch of beliefs that you're trying to uphold, but you go in and you come out and you find pasture. That's again why we wanted to show this clip from Life of Pi. See, flow is something that's not fixed. That's what I'm trying to get through to you with flow. Flow is not fixed. And that's the state of the enlightened mind and heart. And John is pushing this point again when he writes about Jesus being the light of the world. Remember Jesus, Jesus, I am the light of the world. Light is not something you stare at. So you don't stop at a door and worship the door. Oh, you have a lovely door. Chris, the door to your house is amazing. I love your door. Please can I stay here and worship your door? No, you want to come in and you want to go out. So you want to come in and enjoy the warmth. You also want to sit in the hot tub or play on the trampoline. You want to be able to come in and go out, come in and go out. So, so in the same way that we don't worship the door, we have to understand the door is just the access point. Jesus is the access point to you getting an understanding about the Christ and the Christ in you. But in the same way, the light is not something you stare at. We said Jesus is the light. Oh, I need to stare at Jesus because Jesus is the light. I don't come in here and not talk to you and stare at the lights and think, isn't it amazing there's light? Oh, look at the, the light. It's so No, I don't even refer to the light. What I do is understand that the light illuminates everything. 
So the light's not something that you stare at, it's something by which you see everything. And there's the other misunderstanding. We came in, Jesus is the light, let's stare at the light. No, you have to let the light illuminate everything and everyone, and then you will see goodness in everything and in every one. See, it will change your whole life. Now, when I say everything, that means even in the difficulties, the trials, when you're in the boat in the middle of the ocean and there's a tiger in your boat, if you catch this, you will see life and light in everyone and everything. Christ consciousness is the illuminating of all things. And through it, we see everything and everyone differently. This will change your life. So the question is not so much what do you see, but how do you see? The question of religion says what do you see? What do you believe? But the truth of the Christ says how do you see? And what is flowing? So let me read you this wonderful little uh, edited clip and then I'll finish. To commit to faith is not the same as committing to a set of beliefs. To toss away the conflicting and unusable beliefs of the mind is to be free of human chatter and hubris and a step closer to the divine. If faith does not fill in the cracks, fear will. Knowing does not create faith. Knowing creates belief. Faith is an attitude of acceptance of not knowing. Unknowing creates faith. The next, so listen to this, in the void of not knowing, <coughs> we may ask, is it God at all who asks this of me? How many of you have been there? Or is it circumstance? The answer of faith, it doesn't matter. You don't know now and you may never know. To know in the context of faith is to remain humble and teachable. And the next time then you find yourself in a spiritual crisis, here's my advice. Attach no value to it. Now, I bet you thought you'd never heard that say from a platform. Attach no value to it from the position of positive or negative. Release your beliefs for the time being and don't labor at bringing them into congruity with the crisis, trying to make sense of it. Have faith that whatever is happening to you now will be neither lost nor forgotten, but witnessed and acknowledged in the fullness of its truth. With time and maturity, all that bears light will be made clear. The truth will not be withheld from you. So, following on from our last little video clip, maybe our prayer today should be the echo of pie in the boat. God, thank you for giving me my life. Right? Do you see the my in there? God, thank you for giving me my life. I'm ready now. That's when the Christ in you will show up and in that place when the Christ in you shows up matter and spirit will operate as one and all things everything 
and everyone will be seen in the true light because you've not only gone through the door, but now you can come into that and you can go out of that and you will find pasture every time. So in the words of the last song that we're going to finish with, let this day be your one day. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest. <laughs>